listening to Radio Maria, Christian Voicing Home. We're not presenting the show. Jesus is the Messiah of Judaism, Roy Shulman. Hi, this is Roy Shulman, and welcome again to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, or seen the other way around, that celebrates the completion, the full realization, and actually the realization of the true meaning of Judaism in the Catholic Church and her sacraments. Well, um, since this show is about the connection between Judaism and the Catholic Church, and it is a very, very special time of year on the Jewish calendar, tomorrow evening begins Rosh Hashanah, which is the beginning of the High Holidays, which is the liturgically most significant uh, part of the year, that I didn't want to let that go by without talking about the High Holidays and without talking about Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, which comes 10 days later, and uh, what their significance is. And also, frankly, I wanted to introduce the audience to some of the characteristic prayers and and a meaning of the prayer of those two holidays, be, because one sees a lot of, um, it, it sheds a lot of light on the transformation between Judaism and Catholicism, and you see a lot of the beauty of Judaism in them, and you also, frankly, see a lot of the tragedy of Judaism in them in not um, benefiting, let's say, from the sacraments of the Catholic Church. So that is my plan for today. It is a live show, so if you wish to call in, the number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y. And I'll try to keep an eye on the uh, call board for any calls that come in. So I'll just launch in. So uh, tomorrow evening, um, the uh, evening of Sunday, September 29th this year, begins the holiday of Rosh Hashanah. The Jewish liturgical calendar runs from sundown to sundown, essentially. So the Jewish holidays always begin on the preceding sundown, the eve, so to speak. And then they conclude when nightfall falls uh, at the end of the holiday. So that's why it begins uh, tomorrow evening. And it is, what is Rosh Hashanah? Rosh Hashanah is actually the anniversary, the celebration of the anniversary of Adam and Eve. You can think of it as Adam's birthday. So it is when it is the day of the year, so to speak, is the anniversary of when God created man, which, of course, was the climax and culmination of the six days of creation. So it's celebrating um, God's creation of the world and of man. Uh, Rosh Hashanah literally means head of the year. Um, I won't get too involved. Uh, there, are, there are a lot of strange things about the, the Jewish calendar. The only one that I'll mention, strange is not really the right word, but differences with our calendar, is that the Jewish calendar is a lunar solar calendar. It's designed so that the start of every month is the new moon, which of course um, means that it, the calendar is not in lockstep with our calendar, and therefore the Jewish holidays, although they always fall on the same calendar day on the Jewish calendar, don't always fall on the same calendar day on our calendar. And they can drift about uh, six weeks, I would say. So, But this is typically the time of year when Rosh Hashanah begins. Now, one of the um, 
key mitzvot of Rosh Hashanah. What's a mitzvah? Mitzvot is the plural of mitzvah. Mitzvah is a good deed. It's the performance of a commandment. Um, if Now, one can think of performing a commandment in terms of not sinning, doing what God wants, not um, acting against God's will. But in Judaism, the theological significance and one could say redemptive significance of performing a mitzvah, of performing a commandment, is far deeper than that. Because in Jewish theology, the redemption of the world comes about through the um, number of, basically the number of Jews who perform the mitzvot. So every time a Jew performs a mitzvah, he is bringing the coming of the Messiah closer. He's actually bringing about the redemption of the world or, you know, adding a penny into the jar of um, the redemption of the world. So the performance of the mitzvahs is is central to the Jewish concept of redemption. Uh, there are uh, 613 mitzvahs. That's the common count of them in the uh, in the Old Testament. And hearing the shofar sounded on Rosh Hashanah is one of the mitzvahs. So I thought I'd start today's show by trying to blow the shofar. It may or may not work um, because I have a bit of a cold, so I'm somewhat short of wind. But there are three characteristic uh, sounds, shofar sounds, a single long blast, three blasts in succession, and then a sequence of at least nine very short blasts. So let me see how well this works. Uh, you may want to uh, sort of hold your ears. I don't know how loud this will come across the microphone. of hearing the shofar blast on Rosh Hashanah. It's actually, we're cheating a little bit since we're about a day early. Um, the shofar is, of course, a ram's horn, literally a ram's horn, a hollowed-out ram's horn. Uh, and the one that I just blew is, in fact, exactly that. I, I got it in Israel. Now, from a Christian perspective, actually, even from a Jewish perspective, it's interesting why is the shofar um, a ram's horn and why is the shofar sounded on Rosh Hashanah? So, uh, from the perspective of Jewish theology, uh, there are a number of reasons which I'll run through quickly. Um, first of all, Rosh Hashanah is the celebration of God's creation of the world. It's also the celebration of his kingship of the world. It's sort of like the coronation of God as king. And the trumpet sound of the shofar is heralding this coronation, um, and um, the the most interesting one from a Christian's perspective is the following, which is since the shofar is made of a ram's horn, it recalls Abraham's willingness to sacrifice Isaac on Mount Moriah. Remember, Abraham was about to drive the knife into his son Isaac, thereby killing him, when the angel of the Lord said, stop because you've been willing to do this, I through your seed all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. And Abraham turned around and saw a ram caught by its horn in a thicket. 
and sacrificed it instead of his son Isaac. Why is this so interesting from a, a Christian or Catholic perspective? Because the blowing of the shofar is, in Jewish theology, a reminder of God of Abraham's fidelity in being willing to sacrifice his only son, and a reminder to God, therefore, that because Abraham did this, God promised to send the Messiah through the seed of Abraham. Um, the ram was, in fact, a, play, a um, temporary substitute. Let me go through that. The reason this is so interesting is the story is the following. Abraham laid the wood for the sacrifice of his son Isaac on Isaac's shoulders and led him up Mount Moriah to sacrifice him on the top. The story is in Genesis 22, but I'm just going to give a synopsis. Um, as they were climbing the mountain, Isaac said to his father Abraham, Look, I see the wood and the fire for the sacrifice, father, but where is the lamb for the sacrifice? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for the sacrifice, my son. When they got to the top, Abraham bound his son Isaac to the wood and proceeded to sacrifice him until you stopped by the angel. Now that mountain, which was Mount Moriah in the Old Testament, had a different name 2,000 years ago, uh, 2,000 years later, excuse me. In the New Testament, it was Mount Calvary. Mount Moriah and Mount Calvary, or Mount Golgotha, is one in the same mountain. Uh, you can see this when you go to Jerusalem, because the site of the crucifixion and the site of Abraham's binding of Isaac are just about 500 yards apart on the same mountain ridge. So, the entire story of Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac was a picture in advance of our redemption through Jesus. As Abraham took his only beloved son Isaac, laid the wood on his only beloved son's shoulders, led him up the mountain, bound him to the wood for sacrifice. That's obviously a picture of God who took his only beloved son, Jesus, laid the wood for his sacrifice, that is the cross, on his shoulders, led him up the very same mountain to sacrifice him. Now, when Isaac asked his father, Abraham, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for the sacrifice, my son. Abraham was obviously speaking prophetically because God himself did provide the lamb for the true sacrifice, which is, of course, was Jesus sacrificed in the very same place in the very same way. However, as a temporary substitute, God provided the ram caught by its horn in the thicket, which is why the shofar is made of a ram's horn, is because it reminds God of Abraham's fidelity in being willing to sacrifice his son, and the connection between that act of Abraham and God's promise to send the Messiah. As we know, he did. Now, in Jewish theology, the question is asked, in the absence of the temple for animal sacrifice, how can our sins be remitted? The answer in Jewish theology is through the merits gained by Abraham by his willingness to sacrifice his son Isaac on Mount Moriah. That's the source of the merits available for the redemption of sins in the absence of the temple and animal sacrifice. So you see, Judaism unknowingly is al has already said, I'd like to say made the transformation, when the temple was destroyed at the time of the crucifixion or a few years later, there was no more animal sacrifice. Uh, we know as Christians, as Catholics, that the mass, that Jesus' sacrifice was the true fulfillment 
and the animal sacrifices were only a picture in advance, and it's Jesus' sacrifice which gained the merits for the redemption of our sins. And even in Judaism, they're sort of saying the same thing, because they're saying Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac, which was a picture of the sacrifice of Jesus, is what uh, enables us to have the merit for the forgiveness of our sins. I hope that made sense, but it's, to me it's tremendously exciting. Um, anyway, so those are some of the reasons why the shofar is blown on Rosh Hashanah and why it's interesting from a Christian and Catholic perspective. Now, I, I want to quickly go through four of the central prayers of Rosh Hashanah. The first one is uh, called the Hineni, uh, which essentially means, here I am. It exactly means, here I am. And it's early in the service, and it is the, the, the cantor who is praying for the congregation, interceding for the congregation, who is expressing his unworthiness before God, and yet he has been called to this role. Um, it's a very beautiful prayer. I'll read it in English, then I'll play it being chanted according to the traditional chant. You'll see the meaning of the prayer reflected in the music itself. But I think it's also worth thinking about the prayer in the context of the priest offering the Mass, because especially um, in the Tridentine Mass, um, there is a line in one of the prayers, I, though your unworthy servant, and so forth. Um, of course, it's true. It's true. I mean, as wonderful as a priest may be, none of us is worthy to stand on our own two feet before God. Uh, we're all horribly defiled creatures of sin, yet we are called to do so when we pray, when we pray to intercede for others, and when one performs the ultimate prayer, which is the priest offering the sacrifice of the Mass. So let me read the Hineni prayer from the Jewish Rosh Hashanah service, uh, and then I'll, I'll play a beautiful recording of a, a cantor from about the 1930s chanting it. So here's the prayer. Here I am, deficient in deeds of merit, trembling and awe-stricken from fear of the one who is enthroned upon the praises of Israel, standing and pleading before him, on behalf of his people Israel who have sent me, though I am unworthy and unqualified for the task. Therefore I entreat you, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob, Lord, Lord, benevolent God, compassionate and gracious, God of Israel, omnipotent, fearful and awesome, grant success to the mission which I am undertaking, and plead for mercy for myself and for those who have sent me. Accept my prayer as if it were the prayer of a man advanced in years and experienced in prayer, whose conduct in his youth was unblemished, whose beard is fully grown, whose voice is sweet, and whose disposition is pleasing to his fellow men. Rebuke the adversary, that he may not bring charges against me. May our assembly be cherished by you, and may you cover our transgressions with love. Please transform all suffering and distress for, all, for us and for all Israel, to gladness and joy, to life and peace, for the people who love truth and peace. May there be no stumbling in my prayer. May it be your will, Lord, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob, the great, mighty, and awesome God, exalted God, I, who is he who is, 
that all the angels who occupy themselves with our prayers bring my prayer before the throne of your glory and spread it before you for the sake of all the righteous, the pious, the perfect, and the upright, and for the sake of your glorious, great, and awesome name. For you hear the prayer of your people Israel with mercy. Blessed are you who hears prayer. Now, before I go to the sung version of this, I want to just make a couple of kind of Catholic comments. There are a, there's, a, there's a parallel theme throughout this prayer. That's the theme of the priest who celebrates Mass. As I mentioned, that's reflected overtly in some of the old prayers of the Mass. The unworthiness of the priest, the fact that he's interceding on behalf of his people, and that these pleading that his prayers be accepted on behalf of his people. That's all reflected in the prayers of the Mass. And if I may say so, you know that one of the criticisms that Protestants make of the Catholic Church is that we shouldn't need an intercessor for us. We shouldn't need the priest to intercede for us. But this certainly has its roots in Judaism. In other words, Judaism already has the same sense of someone standing at the front of the congregation and interceding, carrying the prayers of the congregation up to God. There, every, uh, everywhere you look, the um, inner spirituality of Judaism is more, much more closely reflected in Catholicism than it is in Protestantism. Not Protestant bashing by long means, but uh, there are many wonderful things uh, about both Protestantism and certainly about Protestants. Um, but there's no question that the theology of Catholicism is closer to the theology of Judaism. So anyway, with that short digression, let me uh, hope that I can get the um, uh, my jury-rigged uh, technology to work. And here is cantor Yosela Rosenblatt, from, Rosenblatt, a Ukrainian cantor from the uh, beginning of the 20th century, chanting that prayer. I hope you hear in it the... Um, the, the meaning of the prayer in his voice and in his pleading. I'm 
Well, I'm fading that out in the interest in time of time, but I hope you could hear the depth of his prayer and the pleading in his voice. And if I may permit myself another short transgression, that is what makes the particular beauty, needless to say, of a given cantor is the depths of his prayer while singing the prayer. And I would... Uh, I would uh, presume to say the same is true of Gregorian chant. The same is true of the beautiful recordings of, of monks uh, chanting the um, chanting the parts of the mass or, or chanting hymns. Um, it's in fact, however beautiful the music is and however beautiful the singing is a singing, uh, that's not what really creates the uh, beauty when one listens to it. It's actually the the depth of the prayer. Anyway, so that was the Hineni, and I'm not going to probably get to all of the prayers that I wanted to talk about um, uh, today, but let me go on to at least the next... Um, I see there are no calls yet. By the way, this is a live call-in show, so if you wish to call in, the number is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY. Um, I want to get to the next prayer, which is the Unitana Tokev, um, which is really a really central prayer of Rosh Hashanah because it is the whole point of Rosh Hashanah, so to speak, which I rather foolishly omitted to talk about at the outset of um, today's show, so I'd better talk about it now, which is what's going on with Rosh Hashanah. Um, and um, let me see if I can can quickly turn to the relevant uh, notes. I don't have any, so I will just wing it. Uh, Rosh Hashanah is the anniversary of the creation of the world, but it's also the beginning of a 10-day period that culminates in Yom Kippur. Uh, the 10 days in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are known as the 10 days of repentance. Uh, the entire cycle from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur is you can think of it a little bit parallel to Lent. It's a period of uh, repenting of our sins and pleading for God's mercy uh, because, in fact, the according to Jewish theology, it's on Rosh Hashanah that three books are opened in heaven. Uh, the book of the wicked, the book of the fully righteous, and the book of those in between. Those who are fully righteous are immediately inscribed in the book of life, those who are clearly wicked are immediately inscribed in the book of death, but the fate of all of those in between is postponed from Rosh Hashanah until Yom Kippur, at which point those who are deserving are inscribed in the book of death, uh, excuse me, in the book of life, and those who are undeserving are then inscribed in the book of death. So the period between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur 
is the period to plead with God to make the final amends, to um, make whatever merit one can, whatever reparation one can for one's sins and failings. So that's that 10-day period, the days of repentance, so that at the conclusion of that 10-day period, at the conclusion of Yom Kippur, one is inscribed in the Book of Life rather than the Book of Death. That's why the greeting for this period, the traditional Jewish greeting, instead of saying hello or happy Rosh Hashanah or Merry Christmas, for instance, one says Lashana Tova Tikatev, which means may you be inscribed for a good year, because this entire period is pleading with God to be inscribed for a good year. So with that little necessary background, this prayer, uh, Unitana Tokef, uh, literally means let us speak of the awesomeness. It's a prayer that's central to Rosh Hashanah, and it describes what's going on. So let me let me just read the prayer in English. Maybe I'll talk about the prayer a little bit afterwards, and I'll I'll play another recording of it that uh, conveys in the music again and in the chanting some of the inner content of the prayer. So let me now read the prayer. Let us now relate the awesome power of this day's holiness, for it is awesome and frightening. On it, your kingship will be exalted. Your throne will be made firm with kindness, and you will sit upon it in truth. It is true that you alone are the one who judges, tests, knows, and bears witness, who writes and seals, who counts and who calculates. You remember all that was forgotten. You will open the book of remembrances, and each person's signature is there. And the great shofar will be sounded, and a still, thin voice will be heard. Angels will be in a frenzy. A trembling and terror will seize them. And they will say, Behold, it is the day of judgment to muster the heavenly host for judgment, for even they are not guiltless in your eyes in judgment. All mankind will pass before you like a flock of sheep, like a shepherd pasturing his flock, making sheep pass under his staff. So shall you cause to pass, count, calculate, and consider the soul of all the living, and you shall apportion the destinies of all your creatures and inscribe their verdict. On Rosh Hashanah will be inscribed, and on Yom Kippur will be sealed. How many will pass from the earth, and how many will be created? Who will live and who will die? Who will die after a long life, and who before his time? Who by water and who by fire? Who by sword and who by beast? Who by famine and who by thirst? Who by upheaval and who by plague? Who by strangling and who by stoning? Who will rest and who will wander, who will live in harmony and who will be harried, who will enjoy tranquility and who will suffer, who will be impoverished and who will be enriched, who will be degraded and who will be exalted. But repentance, prayer, and charity annul the severity of the decree. For your name signifies your praise, hard to anger and easy to appease, for you do not wish the death of one deserving death, but that he repent from his way and live. Until the day of his death you await him. If he repents, you will accept him immediately. It is true that you are their creator and you know their inclination, for they are flesh and blood. A man's origin is from dust and his destiny is back to dust. At a risk of his life he earns his bread. He is like a broken shard, withering grass, a fading flower, a passing shadow, a dissipating cloud, a blowing wind, 
flying dust, and a fleeting dream. But you are king, the living and enduring God. There is no span to your years, and there is no end to the length of your days. It is impossible to estimate the angelic chariots of your glory, and it is forbidden to pronounce your name. Your name is worthy of you, and you are worthy of your name, and you have included your name in our name. Amen. So I think you can see, I hope, the uh, beauty of this prayer. Um, but let me also point out, again from a Catholic perspective, you, I think you can tell from this prayer that the heart of the one making this prayer is very much in the right place, very much understands himself and understands God, understands the seriousness of sin, the need for repentance, and the impossibility of true holiness. And he is very beautifully pleading with God for repentance and to receive the grace of, uh, of um, true turning away from sin and to receive God's mercy and forgiveness. But compare to this to what we have in the Catholic Church. Compare this to the ever-present fire hose just waiting to be, to be turned on of God's forgiveness and of um, the uh his mercy and the forgiveness of our sins simply by going to confession and receiving the, the sacrament of confession and receiving the priest's absolution. So uh, wherever I look in Judaism, I see a very beautiful love of God. I see a very beautiful hunger and thirst for intimacy with God and holiness. And the picture that I have in my mind is of somebody who is on the verge of dying of thirst, sucking passionately through a tiny, narrow cocktail straw to get a few trickles of water. Whereas we in the Catholic Church have this fire hose uh, drowning us with, you know, two-inch stream of water um, through the sacraments of the Catholic Church. So I always see the simultaneous juxtaposition of the beauty of the Jewish love for God with a, a sadness from how needlessly they're limiting their reception of God's mercy, God's love, and intimacy with God, which is available uh, through Jesus Christ and the sacraments. So that's, um, that's why I'm doing this, by the way. I'm, I'm, I do this show, my entire ministry. I'm certainly doing this show. Um, it's all the, part of the same thing, which is a prayer that God may open up the floodgates of his grace upon the Jewish people and bring them to the fullness of the redemption that he brought, they brought to the rest of mankind through bringing to mankind the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. The Jewish Messiah that they were praying for and working to bring to mankind, thinking of him as the Jewish Messiah, that we know he's already come as Jesus Christ. He has opened up the the gates of heaven through Christianity and more, most particularly through the sacraments of the Catholic Church. And I can't help imploring God that he, that, that through our prayers, the gifts that the Jews brought the rest of mankind through Jesus should be made available to them too through the grace of coming to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the sacraments of the Catholic Church. So with that exhortation, let me play a recording of the prayer I just read, the Yunetanach Tokev, uh, chanted by a cantor. So um, 
Let me cue that up, and here we go. Wow. Wow. Uh, again, I think that was unspeakably uh, beautiful. It's just so beautiful to hear heartfelt prayer um, um, flowing into uh, beautiful music, beautiful singing. So that was the Unetinach Tokev, which, um, which I described, or I actually read the words of just before that, uh, pleading for God's mercy um, that we may be inscribed in the book of life rather than the book of death, that our sins may be uh, forgiven and that we may receive the grace of uh, true conversion. Now we have come to a, uh, another central prayer of Rosh Hashanah. It's not only on Rosh Hashanah, um, it's, but it is a, a central prayer of the high holiday services. It's also said on fast days throughout the year. And the prayer, uh, all of these prayers, by the way, the names of the prayers are simply the first uh, word or two of the prayer. Um, by the way, as is the case generally with, with Catholic prayers and certainly with encyclicals and so forth. Um, anyway, the prayer is known as Avinu Malkenu, which means our father, our king. And uh, of course, we find it very normal to refer to God as our Father. Of course, we have the Our Father as our central prayer. 
the Avinu Malkenu, the, uh, the the sense of God as a, our Father, obviously, is already present in Judaism. Hence, the Avinu Malkenu, um, although it is less central, I would say, the intimacy between man and God is less central in Judaism than it is in Christianity for a very good reason, which is it wasn't there before the incarnation, passion, and death of Jesus. That is, in fact, the coming of Jesus that brought about this uh, incredible intimacy between God and man. And if you read the Old Testament, it's clear that the relationship with uh, man was, uh, the relationship between God and man was of God being far more distant from man. In fact, there's a very beautiful prophecy in Joel where the Lord says the day is coming when you won't have to run to this person or that person and say, tell me about God because I'll make myself known to the lowliest manservant and maidservant among you. So it's already clear in the Old Testament that when the Messiah comes, the relationship between God and man will become far more intimate, which is exactly what happened when Jesus came, which is why St. Peter in the first Pentecost Sunday sermon, when he preached to those 3,000, he cited that prophecy from Joel and said, this is exactly what happened. This has now happened. Um, this day that's coming where I will make myself known to the lowliest maidservant and manservant among you is with us now, because that's what Jesus brought about. Um, however, there's still a reflection from time to time in Judaism of the paternal fatherly relationship between God and his people, which is reflected in this prayer alongside, of course, a contrition for sin, which is also, of course, in our father. It's, it's a central theme of the our father prayer, right? Forgive us as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. In any case, let me read the words, some of the words of the Avinu Malkinu, because it's quite a long prayer uh, in English. And then I will again, play a um, cantor uh, singing it. So here's the Avinu Malkeno. Our Father, our King, we have sinned before you. Our Father, our King, we have no king but you. Our Father, our King, act benevolently with us for the sake of your name. Our Father, our King, renew for us a good year. Our Father, our King, remove from us all your harsh decrees. Our Father, our King, annul the intentions of our enemies. Our Father, our King, foil the plans of our foes. Our Father, our King, withhold the plague from your inheritance. Our Father, our King, pardon and forgive all our iniquities. Our Father, our King, blot out and remove our transgressions from before your eyes. Our Father, our King, erase in your abounding mercy all of the records of our sins. Our Father, our King, bring us back to you in wholehearted repentance. Our Father, our King, send a complete healing to the sick of your people. Our Father, our King, annul the evil verdict decreed against us. Our Father, our King, remember us with a favorable remembrance before you. Our Father, our King, inscribe us in the book of good life. Our Father, our King, inscribe us in the book of redemption and deliverance. Our Father, our King, inscribe us in the book of livelihood and sustenance. Our Father, our King, inscribe us in the book of merits. Our Father, our King, inscribe us in the book of pardon and forgiveness. Our Father, our King, cause deliverance to flourish for us soon. 
Our Father, our King, hear our voice. Have pity and compassion upon us. Our Father, our King, open the gates of heaven to our prayer. Our Father, our King, let it be remembered that we are but dust. Our Father, our King, do it for your sake, if not for ours. Our Father, our King, do it for the sake of your abounding mercies. Our Father, our King, do it for the sake of your great, mighty, and awesome name, which is proclaimed over us. Our Father, our King, be gracious to us and answer us, for we have no meritorious deeds. Deal charitably and kindly with us and deliver us. Um, uh, for, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. Right? Right before receiving communion, the same sentiment, right? Our Father, our King, be gracious to us and answer us, for we have no meritorious deeds, but deal charitably and kindly with us and deliver us. In other words, give, show us your mercy, not because we deserve it, but because it glorifies your mercy and your name. Um, Lord, I am not worthy to receive you, but uh, say, only say the word and I shall be healed, as it used to be. So anyway, with that, let me play a recording of the Avinu Malkenu. Again, I hope that um, uh, I can get this uh, technology to work successfully. Uh, let me just see here. Okay, it looks like it's ready to go.
Well, <clears throat> there you had the Avinu Malkeinu. I read the um, the words that prayer just before playing that, and um, again, of course, the music very beautifully conveys the pleading of the prayer. Let me interject once again, though, with the um, observation. At least it seems to me like an observation that there is a pleading quality, uh, a melancholy quality to um, all of these prayers and to all of this music, which is not the case, if I can say so, with um, Catholic prayer and with the um, music of the Mass. Even the medieval music of the Mass, even the old music of the Mass, I mean, leaving behind the tendency to have modern music uh, you know, over the last 50 years or so. But even the Gregorian chant accompanying the Mass, you know, back in the 10th, 11th, 12th century, uh, did not have that mournful quality. Uh, and I think the reason is because, of course, uh, a Catholic in a state of grace, in some sense, knows where he stands before God and isn't in that dark desperation, uh, hoping that he's all right with God, but having no way, really no assurance of it. So again, I just say all of this, not, I hope I'm not offending anybody, but as a kind of ongoing prayer. And also, by the way, a prayer that we Catholics be aware of what we have that other people don't have, that we be aware of the infinite gift of our relationship with God and our knowledge about God, which comes from Catholic teaching and comes from the sacraments of the Catholic Church. And, um, you know, simple human charity means that we should wish that all those who don't have the riches that we have should have them. And we can arrange that by praying for God to give the grace of the fullness of the truth to others and also by evangelizing and doing our part to try to bring them to the truth. So I've come to perilously close to the end of the show. I will just quickly mention one more prayer of Rosh Hashanah, which used to be my favorite, actually, of the, probably the whole high holidays before my conversion. It's called Tashli. And I don't know why I loved it so much, but what it consists of is that one goes to the side, ideally of running water, the side of a stream or a river or you know, a beach, and throws crumbs into the water, all of the crumbs that are on one. So the way you do that is you empty out the inside of your pockets and, and take all of the crumbs, essentially, and throw it in the water. And it is a part of a prayer pleading with God that he should wash away your sins, that he should take away your sins like those crumbs are swept away. I, of course, was totally unaware at the time of how resonant this was with baptism. But now looking back on it, I can't help wondering whether the reason it moved me so deeply and I, I felt so enthusiastic and good about it was that I did feel a little, a little like prefigurement of the cleansing of baptism in it. So I will um, simply read a few verses from the prayer that said when one does this the, during the Tashli service. May it be your will, Lord our God and God of our fathers, exalted God, crowned with 13 attributes, qualities of mercy, that this shall be a propitious time before you, and so cast all our sins into the depths of the sea, 
and bestow upon us from them the bounty of deliverance and mercy. Remember us for life, King who desires life. Inscribe us in the book of life for your sake, O living God. May we merit to attain deep and deep and high-level repentance, for your right hand is stretched forth to receive penitence. Tear apart the evil aspect of the verdict decreed against us. May our merits be stated before you, and may you have forbearance for us for good. Amen. And this is, of course, associated with throwing one's sins into the water. Now, I will close today's show with, um, go out with this music, in fact, and the music is from the Kol Nidre, which is the opening prayer of Yom Kippur, which I have not gotten to yet, obviously. Uh, I thought I'd go through perhaps uh, Yom Kippur also, but I've spent the day on Rosh Hashanah, which is appropriate since tomorrow begins Rosh Hashanah. But so let me close. Kol Nidre is the opening prayer. It means all vows. It's um, the, the first prayer of repentance of Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur being the ultimate uh, day to plead for uh, God's forgiveness just before the Book of Life is uh, sealed. And um, uh, so I don't think I even have time to, to read the prayer, but it's, uh, uh, well, I'll quickly read it. Um, you know, that all vows, obligations, oaths, and anathemas that we have vowed or pledged or sweared, which may bind us, be annulled from this day of atonement until the next, and, and uh, we repent of them. May they be absolved, forgiven, annulled, and voided, and made of no effect, and so forth. Uh, and this is in large part a recognition that even the promises we make to God in good faith, we violate ourselves, and we don't live up to them. So this is a, a prayer that that uh, those be forgiven. And with that, let me um, turn. This is actually a papal concert of Col Nidre, which was performed before Saint Pope Paul, Saint Pope John Paul II, uh, in commemoration of the Holocaust. So um, uh, let me play it, and we'll we'll go out with that.
Well, I'm sorry. That's all the time we have for that. Um, you've been listening to Roy Shulman on Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria. We've been dedicating the show to the Jewish High Holidays, which begin tomorrow evening. And I want to wish you a good week. I hope you join us again uh, next week, same time, same place, for Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism. And I hope that I've stirred perhaps a little bit of um, interest in people's hearts to um, understand and love the Jewish spirituality and at the same time to be filled with a, a yearning that they should come to the fullness of everything they brought us through Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism. This is Roy Shulman saying bye for now. See you next week.